This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. And today, we're rounding with Jennifer Rodemeyer, manager of the Child Life Program at Mayo Clinic. Thanks for joining us today, Jen. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Right now, I guess for our audience, we should uh, make sure they understand we're recording this uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so one of the things that came up was there's a lot of discussion about lab testing that's uh, done for patients, different types of lab testing, and that's really in the media. And I've been curious about what is the knowledge of the, the public or what do patients know? How, how do they understand uh, the laboratory? And I want to ask your perspective since you're, you know, leading the child life program here at Mayo. Why is it important to explain the laboratory to patients? Yeah, well, it's been significantly interesting watching this COVID um, pandemic unfold, and specifically with my practice in pediatrics, how it has affected kids. For example, our oncology population, anytime they're hospitalized, they have to have nasal swab testing done. Um, Anyone going through surgery now has to have nasal swab testing done. And when you get kids to the point where you've built these positive coping strategies and coping plans, and they're doing quite well during their treatment, all of a sudden you throw in the COVID nasal swab test and that just throws a whole nother loop into what people are experiencing through COVID. Me personally, I think nasal swab testing has been one of the most difficult tests to help prepare the public for because it is not fun um, that we hear kids say quite often that they're touching my brain. And so the importance of being able to explain and prepare kids, families, adults ahead of time is so significant. And research backs that up. And that actually bases the work that we do as child life specialists, um, why we do what we do. So our role in child life is to help kids cope through medical procedures. And I think that there are so many lessons that we teach kids that I wish we had the service for adults because we see the benefits from providing just honest preparation. Back to the research part of it, 10% of adults abstain from having medical procedures when they're adult because of what they've experienced as a child. And so we've created these moments in pediatrics where kids unfortunately have had unpleasant experiences and the majority of it stems back from just vaccines, well-child checkups, just blood work done. And as a care provider, it's difficult because you may be only seeing that child one time or that patient one time, but whatever is being done affects them for life. And so sometimes you'll hear, oh, let's just go in and get it done. This will only take a matter of seconds. But in the end, what it does is it unfortunately just builds such a negative response to future when kids leave the medical environment and haven't had a pleasant experience. The next time they come back, 
they think right back to where they left. And so that's why it is so important to take the time ahead of time. Um, there's a quote that we often say, it goes against your instincts as a parent to tell your child things that may potentially cause them worry or harm just because you're trying to be protective as a parent. But in the end, being open and honest just builds trust. And that way, kids or even adults aren't surprised what's going to come at them next. So one thing from the very beginning when working with patients is we tell them is there's not going to be any surprises here. We're going to tell you everything that goes on because we want that patient to feel relaxed during their stay and not worry about who's going to constantly come in and out of their door or ask them of things without being open and honest and telling them it's coming at them. You know, this really uh, resonates with me. Uh, my oldest daughter is, is quite afraid of, of shots and, and vaccines, and that's something that we're navigating uh, through. And it's really interesting, this conversation, because it makes sense to me about the idea that um, the importance of uh, kind of, uh, you said, preparing and, and uh, having honesty and, and how that would lead to somebody that's very, that is uh, relaxed. I, I could see that giving somebody control. I hadn't thought about that component about long-term and the consequences that this really can uh, come back in the future, especially now as we talk about a lot of preventative care medicine uh, that goes on. Yeah, and you know, that same study that I was talking about that says 10% of adults abstain from any medical procedures requiring injections the same study reflected that 25% of adults are nervous about the medical environment. When I think of how many procedures I've been in throughout my career, I feel very comfortable in the setting. And if things were going to happen to me, I feel comfortable because I know it's going to happen. But if I enter myself into a new situation, I want to know the facts. I want to know what's being done to my body so I can cope and prepare for what's to come. Mm -hmm. And kids through adults just benefit from knowing. And even though we're so familiar with it and it's routine to us, it's so vital and important to take the time to educate your parent, your patients ahead of time, just because you're going to find your patient will become more compliant. And like you said, gain more control of the situation and then be able to leave here with a positive experience, being able to prepare for the next time they have to come. I'm kind of curious, uh, your statement about how adults wish they had uh, child life programs that were uh, working for them. With your experience uh, talking with uh, children and then their families, is it that the, um, your focus is, is really on the, the child and then the parent sort of picks up on your efforts that way? Or is there separate are you addressing uh, the child and then uh, separately uh, addressing the parent? Yeah, good question. So first and foremost, when I go and visit a patient, I am going to focus my attention directly on that patient. Mm -hmm. I think that would be something that I would love for people to leave from this conversation is when working with pediatrics, it's so easy to overlook the child 
and go directly to the parent because we're just used to having conversations from adults to adults or like even when it comes to making decisions for medical care we go to the parent but in the end it's that child that you need to start with and so first and foremost when i go into patient's room obviously i'm going to knock on their door and if i walk into the room and i see that they're three years old i'm going to bend down to their eye level and start a conversation just to build the relationship factor with them you know probably the majority of the time i'm going to bend down and say hi my name's jen can you tell me yours and right away that child is going to look at me like I don't want anything to do with her. And maybe we'll snuggle up next to whoever their caregiver is. But I first acknowledge that child. And then I'll say something to the effect of, I see you brought someone special here today. Who did you bring? Sometimes the kids will tell me, sometimes they don't want to talk to me again. But then I turn back to the patient again and I say to them, do you think that whoever you brought with could tell me your name and who they are? I am building that connection with the child, that trust with the child, and I'm focused on them and their response only, and then invite whoever's with to be a part of the plan moving forward. You know, maybe that child has a Mickey Mouse shirt on, or maybe they're playing a game, and maybe I have no clue what the game is that they're even playing. I want to find something that I can connect with them just so they know too that I'm not here strictly to get their blood or get their nasal swab test or whatever I'm asking of them. I'm here to form this relationship of trust and also make sure that they feel comfortable being in that environment. And so just um, looking around and seeing what can I pull in that they've brought in from their home that can help me form this quick relationship. But then from there, I want to make sure that our partnership isn't just between me and the patient, but also between the caregiver that comes. It's a team effort. And I always acknowledge to the parents right away, nobody knows your child best than you. And so bring your expertise of your child here. We base our success off of these procedures with kids, off of what parents have told us, what works for their kids. I mean, everybody has past experience, and so maybe there's things that don't work, or maybe they know that, you know what, my child loves to watch, please let them watch. Invite that kind of expertise um, into your practice because again it's only going to make you as the provider succeed more in how you're able to get this procedure done. You know I'm, I'm interested in um, your tips for somebody uh, like myself, a pathologist uh, who uh, likes to go to the bedside and be engaged with patients. There's some of us in pathology, so transfusion medicine docs uh, will with some frequency go to the patient's bedside, but there's other kinds of pathologists that don't do that as much, that work more behind the scenes, but there's, there's uh, certainly a lot of professional interest in the pathologist being more available to the patient or uh, to help navigate some of those questions about 
what did their biopsy say? What does this lab test mean? And so um, for those who might be listening, who uh, might find themselves uh, going to the bedside more frequently or would like to, what are a couple uh, tips that you have that maybe the pathologist should uh, think about as they approach those situations? I think any opportunity that you have to go bedside, I would encourage you to do it. All about building that relationship and that trust. I mean, there may be an opportunity for you to build trust even prior to having that pathology taken and knowing what the potential results could be. Can you imagine receiving news from somebody you've never even met before? And so the more that you can get in, build that trust, make those face-to-face interactions, I strongly, strongly encourage it. Kids up to adults, especially for people to be able to process the step and be able to have a clear understanding of what's going on. You know, we talked about the importance of preparation. And when I'm sitting down and explaining procedures to kids, I take them step by step and I tell them about all the senses that they're going to experience. And that way, when they get to that situation, they can predict what's coming next, all because of a series of events that has taken. Now, if I've built that trust and then I come back after the fact, I can close that loop and still have that trust built and then be able to prepare that family for whatever that next step may be. So I appreciate that you do that. I love when I do rounds in the morning and I love the practice when they come into the patient's rooms, they sit down and I understand people don't have time. And what we see in our practice is the more time that we take from the beginning, the less time we need to go back and fix Mm -hmm. things afterwards. And so look at it as kind of an even investment on both ends. Um, Yes, you may be sinking more time pre, but post, you don't have to take the time to try to add to what you maybe should have done pre. So um, I I just can't speak enough for making those face-to-face interactions doable and taking time to do that because I think overall everyone feels better including the provider just knowing that it's just not a name that they're seeing or a clinic number that they're seeing but it's it's an actual person that has these actual needs and actual questions and it's just great to be able to be that resource Um, I think we've all been on the other end of things when we haven't had the access And we wish that we could. You know, one thing that I do is I encourage families to carry a notebook with them throughout the medical experience. And if they think of any questions that they have, write them down because all of a sudden you get to the provider and you may forget what you really have a question about just because you're so overwhelmed already. So that's another tip that I would encourage um, providers to be able to encourage their families or their anyone from pediatrics up to adults to do is to, to write these things down. 
that's really helpful for me. I, having been in the mindset of enjoying to take my residents and fellows uh, bedside, and a lot of times that's been kind of the focus or in my mind, a lot of the bar of wanting to get them that clinical exposure so they see this way that some pathologists work in this capacity. But I see that you've given me the next bar uh, that I can grow to, which is think about how can I make this relationship a little bit more of a, a long-term relationship uh, so that uh, really everybody can um, grow from that experience. For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. I wanted to flip it around if I could really yeah. quickly that it, because we have uh, clinicians who are bedside all the time and long-term relationships or at least uh, longer uh, term uh, relationships are more the norm. What are your tips for them for explaining the laboratory? As a provider at times, let's, let's go back to the scenario of not being able to be present ahead of time. Whatever message is being sent to whoever's going to help you get the procedure done. So let's just take something simple as a blood draw with a child. And you, the provider, have ordered it. It's in the system. You might know that this child is anxious ahead of time and could benefit from some topical Emla cream or Elemix cream or whatever is available in the lab. If that hasn't been clearly communicated and passed down, it might not be on whoever is giving the procedure's mind. I, as a provider, would want what's best for each one of my patients. And so if there's an opportunity for you to share what you think could be done to help this patient have a positive experience, don't assume that it automatically gets shared. Pass that information down, put it in the chart. You would be amazed when I help um, kids with immunizations and I speak with the provider afterwards and I say, you know, in the future, I think that child really would benefit from having um, cold spray. The provider will say, you mean that wasn't offered to them? because sometimes there's just a gap in the system. And here at Mayo, you know, pediatrics is seen all throughout adult areas. And so maybe in the lab that they're visiting, they're not used to seeing a lot of peds patients. And so they don't think about what could be done to help that child. They do more, let's just get it in and get it done. So if there's specific ways that you can communicate about your individual patient, do so and make that phone call ahead of time, put it in the chart and have it tagged just because it's so important and vital for those positive coping plans. I mean, our goal when we are working with individual, individual patients should be what coping plan does this patient need and how am I going to aid in seeing that that coping plan gets fulfilled? So some of these patients will come in and they'll have a beautiful coping plan already established and we'll get it into play. And then all of a sudden, just one thing just sets them off. If you can just pause, break, 
restart again, remind those patients, hey, in the past, I noticed that while you were doing this, we played a game of I Spy and that really seemed to work. Is that something you would still like to do? Let's give it a try this time. You know, and try to get patients to be able to divert their mind away um, from what is actually taking place. We also find that research supports 50% of people like to watch and be engaged in whatever mm -hmm. procedure is happening. And so sometimes I end up battling the parent more than I do the child because the child wants to watch the parent saying, no, no, Johnny, turn away. You don't want to see this from happening. But in the end, that's just how that child copes. Mm -hmm. And so if you know specifically how your patient copes, help them succeed at fulfilling their coping plan to make that happen. That's brilliant. I think, you know, uh, that, that's been my experience too, this, the, the communication. There's a lot of things, a lot of assumptions that everybody is making in healthcare. We see our area and our domain and, and we make a lot of assumptions up and down the line. And speaking as a laboratorian, uh, I, I will never get tired of uh, phone calls with somebody wanting to double check something or to touch base about something. And, and I think for that patient, that really translates into a huge, huge difference. I wonder for our students that are listening, uh, kind of curious about, we've been talking about uh, what can pathologists kind of think about and, and what can clinicians, uh, healthcare providers uh, think about. For our students, those that are in training uh, to become physicians, nurses, uh, medical laboratory scientists, what's your message for the learners where they're probably getting to see snippets of their mentors engage in this way? but you have quite a lot of experience to share. Yeah, so I always talk to our students too, is every day is a learning opportunity and never stop learning. Think about a pie and all the pieces that put together the pie. You may learn from different providers things that work, things that don't, and include them in part of your pie and who you are. In pediatrics, I think in healthcare in general, you are living the world of unexpected. And I love that about our job because I love being able to observe new situations. I love being able to interact in new situations. But if you don't take the time to stop and process what just happened and the good things that happened about it and maybe the opportunities for potential growth, I think then you've stopped learning. And that is not a model that I like to live by. I think you need to be a lifelong learner because things are changing so often. And if we can learn from somebody's experience in order to make the next person's experience even a better experience, continue to do that. So as a student, keep an open mind and keep learning, never stop. I became a certified child life specialist in 2001. So for close to 20 years now, I want to keep learning to keep elevating my practice and who I am. And in the end, who wins? It's the patients and the families because then we can continue to provide even more strategies and techniques to make their visits successful. It's a brilliant message. And 
in the spirit of continuous learning, and, and maybe this is a premature, unfair question, but <laughs> as we were talking uh, before we started recording, uh, you were dropping some gems, and, and one of the things that you were sharing is that you're actually uh, at least started uh, planning to create a video to show kids and their families uh, what's happening in the lab kind of behind the scenes, where does their sample go? I, I was just curious about, uh, you know, is this, this is something I'm assuming that's, that's kind of new. You haven't done one of these before. How are you approaching this? Yeah, so we just recently have been given this male kids channel and Child Life has the rights as of now <laughs> to what is being broadcasted on the system. So through COVID, because we're no longer able to provide group programming opportunities, we've been going on live, Child Life Live, at least two times a day and just offering opportunities for kids to either do like a craft project, play bingo, we'll have pet therapy, music therapy. But part of what we're doing is providing educational opportunities. And through this, we are hoping to be able to educate kids a little bit more about what takes place while they're experiencing these medical situations. So for example, you brought up the, the lab work. We are going to be planning on putting together a film that, you know, videos a patient in their room. The phlebotomists come in, take their lab, and then what? What happens? I mean, from a kid's perspective, the next thing that happens is someone turns on the computer in their room and the lab results are brought up on that screen. But in the end, look at all the steps that their sample goes through in order to get there. And so we want to take it even one step further. You talk about preparing kids and the importance for them to be able to understand what's happening, why they're here, even behind the scenes is so important for them. So we've even talked about taking a GoPro and sending it through our tube system. So then when it opens up, it ends up in the lab and then it can go through all the steps, their blood can go through all the steps to get that result that's on the computer screen. You know, when we're preparing kids for surgery, especially teens, their number one concern for them is what happens while I'm sleeping. They want to know how their body stays asleep, who will see their body, some kids even want to go into detail on how things are done. It so supports what our minds are capable of doing, especially from teens and older, being able to actually think in concrete terms and understand. It gives people peace and ease to be able to understand how some of this stuff works. And so for kids too, we want to just be open and honest and show them so then they can understand a little bit more about these processes even if they're not physically there. So we hope to be able to start this series and then just extend it to things like laundry. How does laundry work here at the hospital? You know, as far as they know, they put it in a bag and then they get clean sheets, but there's so many steps in between. And so stay tuned because this is going to be something something we're really excited about. We'll have to think of a clever title or chapter series for what we're about to endeavor, but we're really excited about it. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I often explain the uh, the lab as a black box to to most people, <laughs> and and I think laundry at the hospital for me is is definitely a black box. <laughs> right? right. So I'll be watching that uh, as well. Yeah. So uh, last question. I'm, I'm curious about um, given how different patients can be. Uh, when you produce that information, do you, do you envision it's going to be kind of, um, would it be some material that's for kind of K through five, grade five, and then like the teenagers, would there be different content or is there one content that you think, how, how differentiated does the education get? Yeah. And I'm going to respond two ways to that. One, in re reference to making that video content, what we find is we gear it more towards that young school age group, but we find the teens still like to watch it. If we created it to the teen level, we might not be able to capture as much of an audience, but we also want to make sure what we're introducing isn't scaring kids that can't understand. And so that's kind of why we choose that age group when we're producing these things to kind of be geared towards that younger school age group. But when it comes to preparing, so here's the second part of the question that you brought up. Each patient needs to be treated at a clean slate and individually assessed because there's no way to come in with one script that's going to work. I may start preparing a child, well, first of all, I always ask ahead of time if this is something they'd like to know. Some kids say, absolutely not. I'm gonna turn my head, I'm not gonna watch, please tell me when it's over. There'll be some nights I work in the emergency department and with the overhead light, I'll take a gown and we'll drape it around the child and the light and we'll hide underneath that tent until it's over. Mm. And again, that's the child's choice. They have said, I don't wanna see this. Please help me become removed from it and we'll make that happen. If the child wants to know more or the teen wants to know more, we'll start by just asking them basic questions. Tell me what brought here, what brings you here today? That's always the question, even though I know the answer to it. I want to know what that child's understanding is. You'd be amazed at the amount of kids that come here and they don't know why they're here. Or you'll see the parent in the background going, don't tell them. I've said nothing. And then we're like, what? <laughs> like, how then are we going to build trust with these kids? And then how are we going to explain? And then you are the one who has to take them home and explain what just happened. So in order for us to be able to just provide some education to parents on the importance of allowing this preparation to happen is so key too. But know that sometimes it becomes so overwhelming and you'll see it. I mean, you've got to not only pay attention to words that are being said, but people's body language. You know, if I'm preparing a child for surgery and the child's a teen and we talk about the breathing tube because when they wake up, they want to know why their throat is scratched. And if we don't tell them ahead of time, then they're going to, again, lose trust in the fact that we're being honest with them. Not all kids can handle hearing about that. And so I use that assessment piece when I'm working with them to see, you know, how far am I able to go on the preparation? Sometimes it's not, I can't even get beyond getting an IV 
then we stop there and we just help them cope through that IV. And then we're so thankful for our anesthesiologists that come help us get through the rest of it. So again, we gotta be careful because you can't take a script and read it. You've gotta individualize whatever you're sharing with your patients according to what their needs are and then just pay attention to their body language and how receptive that they are to what's coming at them. Because you'll know when too much is too much. Terminology wise, I always encourage families to use real medical terms at least one or two times in front of that child because they're going to hear the medical environment talking that way. We had a young child that was recently um, diagnosed with leukemia and the parent said, you can call it leukemia, but whatever you say, don't call it cancer to the child. So I go in, I ask the child, tell me what brings you here today. And the child said, well, my parents brought me here because I'm not feeling well. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you think is happening to your body? And the kid said, you mean that I have cancer? And the parents' eyes were just enlarged, like, how do they know? Kids are so smart. They're gonna hear absolutely every conversation that's taking place in the room. And so it's so important to make sure that you are not only speaking the medical terms, but then explaining them at a child's level, just so they have a little bit more understanding. And then from that point on, whatever they choose to call it, that's what you stick with and you call it that, but at least they understand that, yes, it is leukemia, it is a form of cancer, and here's what it means you know, according to whatever their age level is. Wow, Jen, thank you so much. I, I think this conversation for me has really kind of hit that highlight of preparation, honesty, cultivating that. But, you know, like you're just saying now, at the end of the day, you really have to individualize that. It, it's, uh, we often talk about the needs of the patient coming first, and, and that's one patient we're talking about each and every uh, time uh, that we utter that phrase. And uh, for me, I know I'm taking away some things uh, from our conversation today about uh, thinking a little bit more longitudinal uh, with my patient interactions. And I hope that all of our listeners are taking away things that they can think about uh, implementing in their practice as well. So thanks for joining us today, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. And I just appreciate that you even do this because you all are wanting what's best for your patients. And so congratulations for creating this program and thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. We've been rounding with Jen Rodemeyer about the importance of explaining the laboratory to patients. Thank you for being able to take the time to listen to this topic. Thanks for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations. Mm -hmm.